0: Uh, you're familiar with. Uh, it may have a technical name, but I can, I'm going to, for the sake of our time today, it's a butter knife. Amen. <laughs> Someone write that down. It's a butter knife, right? Like, can I tell you this? It's a butter knife, right? You know what's funny about a butter knife is that uh, a butter knife actually has a purpose. Uh, can I tell you? A butter knife has a purpose. It's, you know its purpose is, is? Really, it's really to spread butter for real. That's the point of a butter knife, is to to spread butter on on probably bread. I mean, that's kind of the hope, right? This is getting deep. Uh, Spread butter on bread. That's the whole purpose of this butter knife. The, The funny irony is, is that oftentimes we'll take this butter knife and use it for lots of other things, won't we? Some of, sometimes, what we use it to, to, to scrape something off the counter, or maybe you're scraping something off a dish, or you'll do something, right? Maybe even use it to pry open a can of paint. Maybe you've never done that. You've tried, you've been, no, tell me you haven't. Some of you are like, you've done it. Maybe you even tried opening up a cupboard with it. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you've used it as a screwdriver, right? Did it ever happen? Yeah, don't do that. But you, some people have done that before, right? Oftentimes, we see ourselves using something that has a purpose for the wrong thing. I don't know about you, but oftentimes we can find ourselves with using a tool that has a primary purpose for the wrong thing. Yeah, you get the job done, but you know what happens when you you use this to, to, as a screwdriver, perhaps, or as something to scrape it off? Sometimes you, you can actually cut yourself. You know, And you're realizing, well, if I just used the right tool for the right thing, it perhaps might not have been... But it's just easier, right? It's just easier to use the tool that you got at hand because it's quicker and and it's not so much work to go get one and figure it out. We're going to start a three-week series today called Indelible. We're talking about what it means to be a worshiper of God. I use the word indelible because the the word indelible actually means a permanent or semi-permanent mark that's not easily washed off. You see, I believe with all my heart that worship is supposed to leave a mark. Worship that we do is supposed to leave a mark. It's supposed to leave a mark on you, and I think it's supposed to leave a mark on heaven. You see, I think there's something about this worship experience that we have that God intended for us to participate in that's supposed to leave an indelible mark on our lives, That's supposed to be transformative, that's supposed to be informative, that's supposed to be this this season, this moment, this time, that absolutely transforms us from where we are to where we can be. Join me as we pray. God, thanks for this moment. Help us to hear what you have to say in this indelible, marking experience called worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalms chapter 148 verses 1 through, th- 1 through 13 says this, now, I'm going to challenge you, you can look it up if you want to, but I just want you to challenge to, to listen to some of these scriptures today. I think sometimes we get so quick at looking them up, and, and please look them up, I'll give you the notes if you want to be reminded of them, but, but just listen and, and absorb the words that are being spoken. Psalms written written by King David in this particular passage says this, Psalm 148, 1 through 13. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from heaven. Praise Him from the skies. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all the armies of heaven. Praise Him. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all the twinkling stars. Praise Him above the skies. Praise Him Vapors high above the clouds, praise Him. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. For He issued His command, and they came into being. He established them forever, forever. His orders will never be revoked. Praise the Lord from the earth. You creatures of the ocean depths, the fire and hell, the snow and the storm, the weather that all obey him, the mountains and the hills, the fruit and the trees, wild animals and livestock, reptiles and birds, kings of the earth and all people, rulers, judges of the earth, young men, maidens, old men and children, let all them praise the Lord. For his name is great and his glory towers over the earth. I don't know if you've ever read that before. But he literally is saying something in that passage that, that helps me understand a little bit more about this butter knife and how it applies to worship in my life. Can I tell you this? This butter knife has a purpose and so do you. Can I tell you that your primary purpose in life, the most natural thing a human being can possibly be about, Worship. It's the most natural thing that you and I can be about. The, the problem with us is, is that it, it's, it's, it's the breaking down or the definitions of what it is that worship is that we have a hard time with. Some of you are still thinking that worship is this song thingy that we do before the preaching happens, kind of the warm-up band before the sermon. <laughs> so, some of us are thinking worship is this uh, offering of a sacrifice up on some altar somewhere and, something and All of that, worship. You know, the Bible says that all things worship the Lord. You were created to worship. You know what else was created to worship? (laughs) Everything else. Sun, moon, stars, reptiles, rocks. You just heard it. They're all created to worship God. Every one of those things were created to worship God. Here's the crazy thing. The difference between you and a rock or you and a fish, or you and a star in heaven in terms of your worship is one thing, choice. See, rocks don't have to, uh, they don't have to practice or choose to worship. Fish don't have to choose to worship. Cows don't have to choose to worship. Grass doesn't have to choose to worship. Scars don't have to choose to worship. You know why? Because they're already doing it. See, the passage of scripture that says, if you don't praise the Lord, then the rocks will, what it's really saying is, if you don't praise the Lord, they're all that's left, because they're already worshiping. They're already in full voice singing songs. Listen to this. You may have never heard this before. Psalms 19, 1 through 5 says this. It says, the heavens tell of the glory of God. The skies display his marvelous craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is silent in the skies. Their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to all the world. The sun lives in the heavens where God placed it. It bursts forth like radiant bridegroom after His wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run a race. You realize that creation doesn't have to say a word, but it's in full-on worship as we speak. You look up at Mount Rainier when you can see it. You You look around at the water. You look around at a tree. You look at your baby's nose. And you just see God. You see worship happening, whether you like it or not. Because it's just happening. Why? Because God's creation declares his glory and has been always declaring his glory all the time. Somebody say amen. Amen. Worship. Worship. What is worship? Before we go with what worship is, let me tell you what worship is not. All right? Just for the sake of those of you who are taking notes, what is worship not? First of all, worship is not just the slow song in the worship song set that we just sang a few minutes ago, it's not just that. Worship is not the amount of money that you put in the offering. Worship is not volunteering to serve in children's church. All of these things are an expression of worship, but in and of themselves are not the totality of what worship is. Uh, Worship, uh, you know, it's uh, my little girl, Mike Bailey, when she was younger, she's 21 now. I remember when she was probably 15, 16 years old, her and I were sitting in the living room one day and her brother, I don't know, maybe she was older than that, but we were, she was in high school, and Jansen was getting married and moving on. Who's going, no, I'm sorry, he was going off to college. And when he was leaving the college, he was going to have to find, he was going to school in California, find a church down there, right? And so that's what you do. And so the, the discussion in my family came, how do you find a church? Because my kids were kind of, well, born into one, right? So they, they kind of didn't have a choice. They kind of showed up to the church that their dad was at. So, so Bailey says to me, dad, how do you pick a church? Like, how do, you, how do you know, like, the right one to go to, right? Good question, right? So a young person, I know that one day she's going to cross that threshold and try to figure out what that means in her life, and when her, and she, whatever she is, she's going to figure it out how to find her own church. And, 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 and so I remember talking to her, I said, honey, let me put it this way, uh, you have to find the one that's going to uh, uh, use you the greatest, uh, be blessing to you, and just trying to give her all the things that you're supposed to say. But it came down to the, t- the issue of worship at one point in our conversation, and she said, what if the worship stinks? Like, what if you go to a church and the worship stinks? What if you go in there and they sing off key and they're horrible and it's just yucky? Like, that's a deal breaker, Dad. I'm out. Right? I mean, like, I'm done. Right? And I said, I said let me put it this way, honey. I said, if, Bailey, if you and I were all alone and we moved to, uh, I don't know, I'll pick a place, Nome, Alaska, because I don't know anyone in Nome, Alaska, Uh, Let's say it was someplace out in Alaska where there was a village of 300 people and nothing else. And there was one church. I said, honey, where do you think we would go to church, you and me? She said, I don't know. And I said, really? We would go to church there. And she goes, what if they stink? What if it's awful? What if it's horrible? What if it's like the wrong place? What if they preach horrible messages? What if it's terrible worship? And I said, well, we would go there. She goes, but what if it's all crummy and it's not good for you and it's terrible? And I said, we would go there and try to impact the difference. We would try to make a change and help them out. And she's like, wait a minute. So you mean you go to church to give, not to get? And I said, isn't that what we're all supposed to do? See, ironically, we've turned church into what you get out of the deal instead of what you give to the deal. See, what happens is that so many of us come to church, and we're like, I hate that song, Oh man, I like that other leader better than that one. I like when he preaches, not her. I like when she preaches, not him. I like when the, you know—the light. It's too loud in here. It's not loud enough. But by the way, it's so funny. I remember one time when I was church planting, I had this fellow who had a little more age on me come to me, and he says to me, um, "Preacher, the music's too loud." Right? Let me tell you, if you've been, if you've been a pastor for ten seconds, you're going to hear that phrase. <laughs> ten seconds. Music's too loud, and so finally, I was so fed up with hearing the music's too loud that I actually went and did some research. Here's the research that I did. I looked in the Bible. Almost get this. I don't know if you knew this. Almost every time, almost every time that the Lord visited Earth and some magnificent thing happened, music got louder. Cymbals played louder, trumpets blew louder, strings played stronger, drums beat harder, and then like the glory of the Lord showed up. Turn it up. Just kidding. Here's what I would really say to you. Go to Garth Brooks and tell him to turn it down. (laughs) Ain't going to happen, right? You go to Garth Brooks and it'll part your hair. If you don't have any hair, it'll part it anyway. I'm telling you right. Why? Why? Because it's not about the volume. It's not about the style. If you're coming to church for a style, then you've missed it. Worship has nothing to do with the style. Worship has everything to do with the position of your heart. I'm an 80s guy, man. I like my 80s music. Come on. Break it out. I, right, I, I can sing you some Ario Speedwagon right now. I'm telling you. I'll give you a little Lionel Richie. I, I'm going tell you this. There's even a little ACDC, right? Yeah. Even a touch of Leonard Skinner. I'm just telling you. like there, there's, I'm just saying. got You got yours too. You got your style too. You have your thing too. It, it'd be like me inviting you all over to my house for spaghetti dinner. You know the first thing that's gonna happen if I say, everyone come into my house for spaghetti dinner. I'm gonna get, the first text I'm gonna get is, first of all, can I bring my dog? Answer, no, right? Second question is gonna be, is it gluten-free? Does it have meat? Is there white sauce too? Is there this? It'll go on and on, right? Just spaghetti, come over. You know. But you get the point, right? Everyone's got a different preference. If you're coming to church for a preference, then let me tell you this, you're gonna be disappointed. I promise you. I promise you, that's not the issue. The issue isn't the the style that's in front of you. The issue is the the position of your heart in the process. I have preferences like you have preferences. And by the way, if we think that this 22-minute four-song worship set is the totality of what we do in worship and the totality of what you do in worship, then we have sorely missed it all. Can I tell you what I told our worship team just before church this morning? I told them this. I said, "Guys, the mission of our church is to send, love, mend, and train people out. You know what your job is to do for that for the like 22 minutes as you're up here. You know what it's supposed to do. You're you're here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're training people on how to worship. Why? Because on Tuesday afternoon, when Carissa talked to us tonight, today, this morning about the dark night that she experienced, or whatever or we all experienced in those moments, when, 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 you know what she was doing? She was training you." She was equipping you. Why? Because you're going to have one of those nights. You know when that happens? Here's what I hope you do. You remember Carissa. You remember her up here saying, you know what? It's going to, there's going to be a sunny day coming. My roots are growing deeper. The wind is blowing harder. All the things that she said. Why? Because she's trying to train you because that's what we're to do. Church is an equipping place. But you all come to one spot. You know what we're going to do? We're going to eat spaghetti. And we're all going to sing the same songs. And you may not like them. And we're going to do our best to try to be relevant and hip. We could break out smoke machines and lasers if you want, right? Come on. I've been to that church too, so have you, right? And it works. Come on. But we could break out the organ and do that too, right? And that works. But if you're coming for style, then we got it all wrong. So what is worship? What is worship if it's not the singing before the preaching? What is worship anyway? Good question. John Piper writes this about worship. True worship is the valuing or the treasuring of God above all. True worship is the valuing or treasuring of God above all. It says nothing about style. It says nothing about volume. It says nothing about drumming. It says nothing about instruments. It literally says the valuing of God above all. That's worship. Worship. Lifting him higher than yourself, literally making him bigger or of greater value than yourself. The word worship can actually be broken down in its definition to two words, worth-ship. Worth-ship. That's what worship comes from. King David put it this way in Psalm 34, 3. Come, let us tell the Lord. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. 343. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I love that. Literally, what what David is saying is, is, come, let's tell of the the Lord's bigness and let's exalt. Let's let's make him bigger than ourselves. Let's let's talk about how amazing he is way above and beyond ourselves. Let's exalt him bigger than ourselves. Hmm. It's interesting. Worship. Is an act of making God bigger. Does that mean we make God bigger? Or does God just become bigger because we have a choice to do that or not? See, the beautiful thing is that we have a choice to do this. And by the way, isn't it important? Isn't it amazing to me? Isn't that what we need? Isn't that exactly what we need? Don't we need a bigger view of God? I mean, think about it. We we have big problems, we have big worries, we have big struggles, we have big trials. Don't we need a really big God? Don't we need one that's just beyond our ability to put our hands all the way completely around and just be able to trust that he's big enough? I mean, isn't that what it's about? The the moment that we can bring God down into our finite, minuscule, understandable package, I don't want him. I want a God that's bigger than me. I want a God that I can't fully wrap my hands around. I want a God that at the end of the day I go, uh. (laughs) Come on. The moment that I sit around and see like, yep, I I get you. I know what you're going to do. I got it down. I know how you're going to. You know what? Then I'm bigger than him. I don't want that. See, worship is when we acknowledge his great bigness and we begin to say, God, you, 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 that. That's worship. When it gets just bigger than your words, when all you can come up with is, air, because he's so vast. He's so big. Hmm. We can't sing holy, 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 and not have our vision of God expanded. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This is a story of the Samaritan woman. I've talked about this before, last Easter, in fact. I talked about the Samaritan woman at the well. There's so much I want to talk about this. And, and I just for the sake of time, I don't want to go back into all the hows and fours. but Jesus finds himself at this moment walking through Samaria. Wasn't a good reason for him to go through Samaria, except that I think he had a plan. In, in my, my opinion, Jesus had a plan to bump into this Samaritan woman. You'd have to know culturally that Jesus, a, a Jewish a rabbi talking to a woman was, was culturally off limits. It just was not right. And for Jesus, a dude talking to a female, let alone being a Samaritan female, Samaritans were the no-touchy kind. Of, Samaritans were the we-don't-associate-with-you-people people. people. Were the, they were, they were, to the average Jewish person, a Samaritan was just yucky. They, didn't, they, they were terrible. They, they just didn't hang out. So Jesus breaks all the cultural barriers, goes and talks to a female Samaritan at this well in the middle of the day. Most of the time, people got their water before the day happened. It wasn't at the middle of the day because that was the worst time to do it because it's just super hot. They would go in the, either heat, the, the, the early morning or the late at night, but, but not in the heat of the day. The reason why she went in the heat of the day, quite frankly, is because she was a social outcast. She'd been married bunches, right? I don't know her whole story. All we know is, is that Jesus shows up in this moment, talks to this woman, and they end up talking about worship. Personally, I think it was a smokescreen on her part trying to put Jesus off of her topic, but Jesus talks to her honestly about worship. In John four, nineteen, he says this, Sir, this is her talking, the woman said, You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the place of worship? While we Samaritans claim that it is Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped. There's lots to that story. Basically, she's talking to Jesus about location. She's basically saying, how can you think your church is better than our church? Basically, we, we think we should worship at our church, and you think you should worship at your church, right? And Jesus is like, listen, Missy, you got it wrong. It's not about, it's not about the walls that you stand in or the location on your GPS. The issue is not. It's the position of your heart, not the location on the planet. So he begins talking, and here's what he says in John four twenty three. He says, but a time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Hmm. Love this. Jesus is talking to her about worship. He says, the kind of worship that the Father desires is worship of spirit and truth. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking to her about her rightness or her wrongness or her, uh, her theories or non-theories, but he just simply says, let me tell you what true worship is. I love this because you can parse every word that Jesus says simply by taking it apart. He says there's a true worship, which shows me that there's also a false worship, that there's something that says there is true worship. He says true worshipers will worship the Father. Let me take a couple of benefits about being a true worshiper. Because if there's true worship, there's false worship. Listen to what it says, just as you're uh, paying attention here in Matthew 15. It says, you hypocrites, this is Jesus talking. And he says, Isaiah was prophesying about you when he said that these people will honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is farce or fake, for they replace God's commands with their own man-made teachings. In other words, Jesus was simply saying at a different time that there is people, there are people who who basically... Do it phony. They, they, there's phoniness in their worship. Translation, they sing the songs, they lift their hands, but their heart's nowhere near it. They, 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 they appear to be a worshiper kind of person outside of church and, and loving and honoring God with their lips, but their hearts and their actions, eh. He says a farce. The word farce there literally means um, of zero sum. Big fat zero, not worshiping at all. They can say all they want to that they're worshiping, but the truth is, because their heart is not in the right place, big zero ain't happening. That's the Lance translation. Let me tell you a benefit of being a true worshiper. If there's a true worshiper, there's a false worshiper. So what does a true worshiper look like? Number one, a true worshiper has communion with God that's made complete. True worshipers have communion with God that is complete. John 1, three says this. I love the message translation. First John 1 John three, The message translation says this. It says, we saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. Experience a, of a communion with the Father and His Son. There's a communion that God wants us to have. A communion. You know, Carissa said this really uh, great today. She was talking about the seasons of life that are difficult and hard. I, I remember when I was an intern, Uh, we read a book that referred to that season of your life as the dark night of the soul, right? And and, the dark night of the soul, and if you've never had one of those, uh, dark night of the soul, um, this is gonna sound really terrible, but I hope you do because it's the most painfully, awful, beautifully, amazing, sucky, great season of life. I said sucky. Can I tell you this? Because, it, because there's, there's words you can't use to describe it because it's an awful, amazing time. I remember a season of my life, which I don't like to look back on. It's a very difficult season of my life. But I remember a season of my life when, uh, when, when, it, when the darkest nights hit me. I remember when I did least expected it. You've had those moments in life when you're just like, I didn't see that coming. You know, someone hurts you, whatever it is, right? And this, this dark night of soul moment happened in my life. And I remember thinking to myself, God, wow, that hurt, that's awful, those are difficult, those dark nights of soul moments, right, when, when, when your world just falls in on you, right? And can I tell you in the dark night of the soul moments that you have a choice to either run from God or run to God? You know, oftentimes we run from him because, and this is what I think, I think everyone is predisposition, has a predisposition towards running from God because you would, right, it just hurts, and you're like, you gotta blame somebody, so you look up to heaven and you're like, yeah, you made this happen, you could have seen this, you could have changed, you could have warned me, whatever it is. You could have done all those things. But at some point, once you're done running from God and you get to the point when you're like, God, you're all I got. You want to know what true worship looks like in the most deepest, darkest seasons of your life? That's it. You got no words to say. You just, you just, I remember, I could cry. I remember in those seasons of my life, just, just thinking that my breathing, <laughs> the air coming in and out of my lungs was the only worship that was happening and it was beautifully awful, or awful beautiful. I can't put words to it except to say in that moment, I experienced what Paul describes as the fellowship of suffering of the saints and this communion with God. See, because Jesus experienced that. Jesus experienced that horribly awful rejection of all humans, of, of all, when Jesus cries out from the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me that moment? I mean, there was nothing. Jesus was there. It was it. Everyone else, nobody, all of his closest left, Jesus. That dark night of the soul. Maybe, you have, maybe you're in one of those right now and you feel like all you can do is breathe and maybe blink. But all you got is that, can I tell you this? It's in that sweet moment when you finally put your fists down from heaven and you, put them, you, you, you open them up and you begin to say, God, all I got is you. You watch the communion happen that you could never have any other way. There's a communion, there's a union, there's a, there, there's a relationship that God wants for you in that season. Let me tell you this, people who understand true worship have that moment that that, that that exists beyond music and that just comes because you just breathe and blink in the presence of God and you know he's there and he knows you're there and that, my friend, is what it's about. If I could put better words to it, I would. I, I, I think I'm a good communicator, but I'll tell you, I can't tell you any other way except to say in that moment, there is a communion that you can't put any other way. Do I want you to experience that? Yes and no. Paul writes in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation of his sufferings, to become like him even in his death. Yesterday when I was working on the sermon, this phrase came to me. True peace is often born out of the communion of the darkest seasons of life. True peace is often born out of the communion of the darkest seasons of life. It's a benefit of worship. There's a peace that's born out of that deep, dark place. Does that mean everyone has to have a dark place in order to have a great worship? Not at all. There's a place, right? I'm going to spend the next three weeks talking to you about worship. This this indelible series is going to be all about what it means to experience worship, how we experience worship, what spirit and truth worship looks like. Next week, I'm going to invite some really good friends to come and and show you a different uh, outplay of worship. I'm going to invite Paradossi, our folks that are tenants downstairs, this dance group, the ballet and they come up here and they worship. Many of you know of them. They'll be up here. They're going to share a little bit of time with us. And then we're going to talk a little bit about worship and experience worship with more than just your lips, but with your whole body. How do you do that? Worship is more than just a bunch of words is what I really want to get you to understand today. Worship is all about the position of your heart. And what you do with that is everything. Benefit of worship number two, the Father seeks after you. 4.23 4.23 of John says this, but a time is coming, he's already here. When those who worship, true worship will happen when spirit and in truth, listen to this, it says the Father is looking or seeking for anyone who will worship him that way. Listen to this, the word seek in the Greek, in this particular passage, the Father is looking or seeking for worship who will worship that way, worshipers who will worship that way. The word seek there in the Greek actually means this, it means to search for in order to find. The Father is searching in order to find. But there's another definition of this word seek in this particular passage that I think makes more sense. It says this. It says the word seek here in another definition in the Greek means this. To require or to demand. Let me read it the way that it could be said. The Father is requiring or demanding anyone who will worship Him that way. Wait, what? God's requiring us to worship Him. God of the universe is requiring or demanding us to worship him. It just sounds wrong. It just sounds like a a weird, insecure king who just needs something from us. Come on, don't tell me you didn't think it, right? There's that moment, right? Maybe we have a misunderstanding of require and demand. Maybe we have a misunderstanding of who we are as humans. Maybe we still think that we're, we're a screwdriver when we're really a butter knife. See, maybe we've forgotten who we really are. The king of the universe, the Bible says, requires or is seeking after people who will worship him in spirit and truth. There's a requirement upon you to worship him in spirit and truth. I think it's incumbent upon us to actually figure out what that means. What does it mean? Hmm. By the way, if worship is a choice, then how can God require and demand it? Good question. Let me explain this. Every person was born with at least three hardwired elements to your life. Every one of us is hardwired to do three things without thinking, without any training, without at all. First thing is this, service. Every one of us is pre-wired to serve. You're you're wired to serve a master, right? You're wired to serve any, you're just predisposed to serving a master. You'll either serve that master or you'll serve yourself. You're the master. So so we're predisposed to, to, to service. Second thing we're predisposed to, meditation, Every human is born with an understanding of how to meditate. You're like, dude, I don't get it. What do you mean you don't? I don't know how to meditate. Let me tell you this. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. <laughs> right? All meditation is is worry in reverse. It's just, you know, when you worry, you worry, worry, ruminate, 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 it goes crazy. That's all meditation is in reverse. Ruminate, 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 ruminate. You know, worry changes you, Right? So does meditation. If you don't think you know how to meditate, you're wrong. <laughs> you know how to meditate. You've been wired. To, you know what else you're wired to do? Worship. Every one of us is pre-wired, pre- predisposed pre-ready to worship. You may not know that. Uh, let me put it this way: My daughter, Mikey, uh, when she when she uh, won or she won this particular track meet, she she was a shot putter. But but, but I remember she set the school record, right? And Bailey, I remember my other daughter, when she graduated from beauty school at Benaroya Hall in Seattle, uh, it was an amazing. And then Jansen, my son, when he made the starting squad as a freshman down at APU football. And and then when Polly called me and she said, Lance, we got the loan for the house. uh, You know, I had the same reaction for all four of those things. You know what it was? Yes. Mikey won. Yes. Bailey, come on. Polly, bring it. My son, yes. All of them, expressions of my heart, exalting that moment. You already know how to do it, 12. It's in you. You know how to do it The problem is see literally lifting, exalting something above yourself. The problem is, is that we just apply it to the wrong things. It's OK to, re, to, to rejoice in that stuff. The problem is, is that if it becomes above God is the problem. You can be super happy about your job or your family or your football team. The problem is when it becomes above God is the problem. That, that's the problem. You can rejoice. God made you to rejoice. He made you to worship. You're predisposed to it. Let it rip. That's what, that's what this true worship is all about. And when God says he demands it, can I tell you this? This is the beautiful thing. He demands our worship that's natural of us. This is the most loving thing. I remember at a moment when I was, I was going through my uh, young, a little bit rebellious Christian years, and I was thinking to myself, God, you want me to worship? You demand that I worship you? Come on. What do you mean by it? How can you demand that I worship you and still call it a choice? Here, here's, here, get this. God, who's perfect, created us in his image you realize that God is love? Love is God. And do you realize that you cannot have love without an object to actually love? You do realize this isn't deep. This is truth. You can't say I'm love and, and then not have an object to love, right? So God made you in his image. He made us in his image. And he said, you have the ability to choose love. It's almost as if God was in heaven. This is the Lance version. It's almost as if God was in heaven going, huh? I made them in my image, and I want to give them something to love that won't hurt them, that will always love them back, that will never, that will never be mean to them, that will always revert back to their greatness and all that. I, I want to give them an object of affection to show their love towards and to worship. I'm as good as they get. Worship me. God just says simply. I'm it. I'm the best, least hurtful thing you could possibly have in your life and you were created to worship. Make me the highest and watch what happens to you. See, God's command of worship wasn't an arrogant thing at all. It was just simply a matter of fact. He was like, look, I'm, I'm, I made you like me and I have an object of affection, which is you <laughs> and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. <laughs> you and angels are the only ones that have a choice. A third of them bailed out and took off and listened to the devil. But you and I get a choice to choose to lift him higher. See, true worshipers worship God because not only he's worthy, but because you're made for it. You're made for it. You're made to tell him, You're good, you're amazing. There are, times, there, there are times when I'll, I'll see something so amazing. It's weird because I'm a vocalist, I sing, and, I, and there was times when, when I'll sit in a room of people who, who I can see play music well. Or I, I mean, I like the classics, Brox, Bon, Beethoven, Rachmaninoff, Mozart. I love all that stuff, and I'll hear something, I hear a cellist play, and I just sit there and I just close my eyes and go, hmm, come on. I'll hear some jazz riff and go, yeah. Like there's a moment, right, when I'm like, God, this is you and me. <laughs> this is like this moment that, that transcends words that worship happens. God made us like that. See, that's why it's so easy for us to come up with Hollywood stars and, and heroes and all that kind of, we want to do that because God made you to want to do that. The problem is, is when we put them above God is where it blows up. He's the big deal. When we truly worship, we put ourselves in the rightest possible place. And finally, number three, when you true benefit of worship is your identity becomes clear. Let me close by reading this out of the message translation. Paul writes in Romans 12:1: So here's what I want you to do: God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you to the, the best things that you can is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Really recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down and leaving you immature. God brings out the best in you and develops a well-formed maturity of you. Worship is all about God changing you indelibly. See, we think that worship is about us singing songs to him. The crazy thing in worship is that we get changed too. And how does that happen? I don't know. All I know is, is when I'm done singing worship or or, or going on a hike or looking at a, a picture or, or, or walking through something or seeing something that was made or looking at a mountain, I don't know what it is, but I have this moment with God when he's amazing, but I'm changed. How does that happen? I don't know. True worship. I want us to be a church that realizes that worship comes from our heart. And as we take this next Three weeks to talk about worship. I'm going to challenge you to. I, I, I want to. I want to rattle the cage of your predisposition, your your, your pre-understanding. Maybe your your hard line. This is what worship is, and it's supposed to be this. And if it's not this, then it's bad. I want to shake it up and say, let's. Maybe we have the wrong understanding of worship, and let's look at it and allow God to change us. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, to, to be the men and women that you want us to be. Change us, God. Just as you're sitting there quietly before God, I want you to say this with me. Say, Jesus, change me. I want to I learn to worship you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never become a Christian today. Just say it. Say, Jesus, I give you me. I want to become a Christian today. I surrender my life to you. I want my whole life to be what gives you glory and worships you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You learned something today? Worship, love it. Hey, before I go, I wanna tell you this. Um, our youth group, our youth group is making these, right? Carameled apples. Carameled apples. <laughs> Justin promised me that